It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing all right today. Uh, Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by Fight TV. We love to be part of Fight TV or we love being part of Fight TV and you can watch us on Fight TV anytime on your handheld device, your phone, your tablet, whatever. Just download our free app. It's easy. Go to our website and click the banner that says download the free app, billycboxing.com. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. All you gots to do is visit Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Looking to get a signed copy? Don't worry about it. Visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and click on the book. You can't miss it. It's all over the front page. Uh, You looking to get uh, some last-minute Christmas gifts? You forgot about it? Christmas next week already? Well, hey, nothing's better than giving everybody on your list a copy of my book. Looking to get discount copies? Hey, Buy more than one, and I'll hook you up. Just drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Find out why I'm so uh, adamant about telling Tom Molino's story. What an important part of uh, boxing history. It's an important part of American history, and it's an important part of black American history. Check out the book. You're going to love it. It's a, it's a short read. It's a quick read. It's a, a pretty captivating read. But uh, anyway, hey, coming up a little bit later, speaking of books, I got the author of uh, a new book on Muhammad Ali. It's called Ali. It's been getting great reviews. And um, Jonathan Igg is the uh, uh, author of that book, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. But uh, uh, he will be joining us uh, and telling us about his book. Uh, What a complete uh, work of Muhammad Ali. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Also... um, uh, you know, we're going to break down, we're going to talk about and break down and give you our official predictions on what I think is the biggest fight of the weekend. 
uh, Billy Joe Saunders defending his WBO middleweight title uh, against David Lemieux. It's going to be up in Canada, uh, and uh, we will be uh, breaking that down and giving you our predictions. But we're going to kick off the show with this. It was confirmed that Teddy Atlas is no longer part of the ESPN broadcast. Teddy's been uh, a figure uh, and, uh, well, their, you know, uh, color commentator and a fixture on ESPN boxing events for over 21 years. And it was officially announced uh, yesterday that he will not uh, be continuing in that role. Now, he still has a couple of years left on his contract. Um, I have some quotes uh, from Teddy. Uh, but, um, you know, I, we talked a little about this uh, earlier in the week or late last week. I think ESPN is making a big mistake. I, I, You know, the moves that appear to be taking place in the sport of boxing, and, and really, I shouldn't just say boxing because it seems to be taking place across the board. Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree with it. You know, in, in football, you got football guys calling the games and analyzing the games and giving you uh, their perspective and breaking it down, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, baseball, same thing. Hockey, same thing. Basketball, same thing. Um, yeah, you always have that lead commentator that's, you know, uh, uh, by the book, but, you know, he tosses those softballs up, so to speak, uh, to the experts. Well, boxing should be the same. Why is boxing the only sport that allows non-boxing people to be right in the trenches? And Teddy Atlas was the only boxing guy uh, on ESPN. You know, you got uh, um, Timothy Bradley now doing some color commentating. And, no, you know, hey, no disrespect to Timothy Bradley because he does a good job. I, I like him. Uh, but they bring in these other guys. Excuse me. They bring in these other guys that uh, basically are either writers or, or well, they're not boxing guys. Mark Kriegel is definitely not a boxing guy. Stephen A. Smith doesn't know a left hook from a fish hook. He's just a yeller and a screamer. Um, I'm very disappointed in ESPN, and I think it's going to hurt their uh, boxing ratings. Joining me right now uh, from a place a hell of a lot warmer than where I am. Right now it's about three degrees uh, is my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Good morning, Billy C. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, except I'm, it's a little chilly. I'm like chilly willy chilly. today. I'm a little chilly. chilly. What's your thoughts on uh, officially uh, Teddy Atlas being removed uh, from the, the live boxing events on ESPN? I do coincide with you. I think it's a mistake. I mean, Teddy Atlas has been a fixture there for a while. And Teddy Atlas is a boxing personality. He's a, he is a boxing knowledgeable guy. And he brings that dose of reality into the forum when they do their announcing. And I think, you know, that's what got him in trouble. I think he spoke too many times about his real opinion of what he felt about some things. And, What's wrong with that? You know, no, it's nothing wrong with it. That's what I'm saying. But when you are in that corporate scenario and you have other non-boxing people making decisions and pulling the strings, you know, you're 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 – it's like the Godfather used to say, "I never want to be a puppet on some on somebody's strings." Well, guess what? You're still at the end of the strings, and you're still a puppet in a sense. And if you don't do exactly what you're expected or supposed to do, or stay in line and have a little governor guiding you what you what you need to watch out for, you're gonna be hacked, and they're gonna do it in a most diplomatic, like little little trickle down effect way they did, just like they did with Teddy Atlas. 
and I, I think it's a mistake because Teddy Atlas does bring uh, something to the table uh, and a wealth of knowledge that, uh, that you know, these other guys just really don't have. You know, it, it's sad that our society has come to this point, and, and you're 100% correct. Um, I, you know, Teddy Atlas, and, and listen, let, I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's not that I think Teddy Atlas is so great because I really don't. As a matter of fact, my biggest knock on Teddy Atlas uh, is the fact that, you know, he'll give his opinion on something. And if you don't agree with him, you're wrong. Your opinion doesn't count. It's either Teddy's way or everybody else is wrong. And I disagree with that. I mean, boxing is a subjective sport. Uh, you know, you and I can, uh, you know, agree on something or, or we can disagree on something, but that doesn't make either of us right or wrong. I mean, I'm usually right and you're wrong, but that's besides the point, you know. Whoa, the, hey, the, the, easy, the, easy. The, I was thinking the, the, same, the truth. Oh, wait, I just had a Teddy Atlas moment. But, uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, Teddy uh, isn't a puppet. And, and I like that, even though I don't always agree with him. Right. I like that, especially during boxing. And especially when I'm watching boxing, a live boxing event, and, and I want to hear something from a boxing guy, and that's Teddy. Teddy brings that. Now, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Joe Tessitore, he's, I, he, first of all, he's a great college football uh, announcer. But, you know, yeah, sometimes they, they really, uh, you know, repeat everything Teddy says and kiss Teddy's ass, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, Teddy was the only boxing guy, aside from you know their their uh, uh, you know former boxers they bring on there like Timothy Bradley currently, um, on ESPN, and you know he's been there for 21 years. Uh, again, like whether you agree with him yelling and screaming and spitting all over the mic uh, or not, I think he was part of that broadcast, and I think they're gonna be they're gonna miss him. The guy that they brought in to replace him, Mark Kriegel, is actually awful. You know, and to and to have Stephen A. Smith, uh, you know, chiming in, yelling and screaming, and th this guy knows shit about box. I mean, let's be real. There's no way to color it, the you know, to to um, cover it up or anything. I, I mean, no. uh, Stephen A. Smith doesn't know crap about boxing. He really doesn't. And uh, it's it's you know, it, it's sad, Sal, because a lot of the audience and the guys, the suits, I call them, that are making these decisions. They don't know a thing about boxing, and yet they're making the decisions about what the fans are going to see. So, in a sense, aren't they starting to brainwash the fans? I mean, we complain. We get these emails from listeners like Raheem, who has no clue about the sport of boxing and has drank every ounce of Kool-Aid that they've given to him to believe that undefeated records mean you're good and blah, blah, blah. Isn't that the same thing that they're trying to do to us here from ESPN? Well, it, it possibly could be their format, their goal, and their direction. I mean, like like our young fan in Raheem, he is learning. He may evolve. He may come out. His father's a very wise man, and I think his father knows boxing. But as ESPN is trying to learn and these suits are trying to learn, they're going to see. And, you know, I thought last week's format with having um, – uh, Teddy Atlas do like a little sidebar in a private room where he had nobody else with him, but he give his opinions, opinions and dissertation about what he thinks each fighter can do and how they're going to win. I thought that was very nice. I thought it was a good added uh, facet to the puzzle here. But and and you know I I could almost see them keeping that just like that where he he is alone in a room just giving his opinion about what each fighter has to do and how they have to win. I thought that was good. 
but to totally oust him out of the network and uh, and have his absence 100% says they want to go in a whole another direction. And as you said, with the people that are aligning themselves with being non-boxing people, it's going to be something that they're looking to sell to the majority of the public that are the casual listener, are the people that aren't uh, in their market brand and that they're going to try to capture. I think I think that they're going to try to retain the the fans they do have. Yes, and they will, because um, the fans guess what? They want to know. They want to think they know everything too. So as they do learn, they're going to be right on par with people that don't know. So it's going to be a win-win for a business decision such as the ones they made, and that's what they're looking at. Well, let me tell you something. First and foremost, boxing has not. It hasn't been more like professional wrestling than it is now i mean it has become uh, wwe2 and and this is just uh, you know stephen a smith is is just another reason mark kriegel just just another example i mean these guys you might as well like i said the other day you might as well have vince mcmahon and mean gene okerlin uh come on out and and do this stuff and and bring back jesse venturi too i I mean you know uh, jesse the body ventura would fit right into the way uh they're uh uh, portraying the sport of boxing. Um, just for the record, uh, ESPN still has, uh, according to uh, multiple reports, ESPN and Teddy Atlas uh, still have a contract in place uh, that uh, is between two and three years. Um, and, you know, uh, they're going to have to come to some kind of agreement. Also, the uh, execs at ESPN said that Teddy Atlas will still be performing uh, interviews like they showed this past weekend, uh, just not the live boxing stuff. Teddy Atlas uh, was quoted as saying this. He said, it doesn't look like I'm going to be back, at least from what I understand. This is the decision. It wasn't my decision. I can't really talk about it anymore because I'm under contract. I've always tried to be upfront and honest. I'm I'm not able to speak about it. I don't mean to be vague or to the point because that's what I like to be. And I always tried to be, whether people liked it or not. But this wasn't my choice. I've appreciated the 21 years I've been at ESPN and the opportunity that they've given me. And I appreciate the opportunity the fans have given me. I still have three more years of a commitment to a company that's been good to me. I'm looking forward to fulfill my commitment and be true to that. I wish I was able to speak more on it, but I gave my word that I wouldn't. Um, you know, wow. I mean, it is That's what it is. I, I wish he could. I, I, I wish he could be honest yeah. because I would love nothing more than Teddy Atlas to be spitting and screaming uh, about uh, what really took place. Um, but uh, some inside sources uh, close to uh, uh, ESPN has said that uh, uh, At- Teddy Atlas's uh, behavior uh, on two specific uh, broadcasts uh, was. Uh, was the final straw in their decision to remove him. Uh, apparently, during the Manny Pacquiao, Jeff Horn. Now, you remember this. Remember when remember. Uh, many people felt that Manny Pacquiao won, including myself, and uh, Jeff Horn did not. Teddy Atlas even questioned uh, Jeff Horn. How do you feel about a terrible decision? And the network was beside themselves. They felt that that was totally uh, unprofessional, and uh, that was uh, basically... Uh, you know, uh, strike two. Strike one was the accumulation of all the other uh, times. But strike three uh, actually happened uh, the first week they brought this clown, Mark Kriegel, in. 
And he was saying some stupid shit like he was saying the other day, uh, the last broadcast. And Teddy Atlas kind of got into a sparring match verbally uh, with him and was questioning his boxing credentials, which I applaud, Sal. I applaud. The network didn't like it because the network looked bad by bringing a a, a non-boxing guy in who doesn't know a left hook from a fish hook. And the truth of the matter is, is I agree with Teddy. So apparently the suits at ESPN felt that uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, the final straw, and that's why he was removed. What's your thoughts on those two last uh, major issues, the Horn uh, Pacquiao fight and, of course, uh, him uh, uh, questioning Mark Kriegel's uh, uh, lack of boxing knowledge? Well, those were two strikes. I mean, and, and they were the last strikes, and they were the nails in his coffin. I mean, I don't think he – I don't necessarily agree with him, what he did with uh, uh, Jeff Horn. I mean, he, he, he could have put it another way. He could have phrased it maybe. But, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a close fight. And when I re-looked uh, looked at that fight again, Jeff Horn definitely looked like he was in that fight 100%. And he did land some good telling blows, especially towards the end of the fight. It looked like he was more in control, to my opinion. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that – I think was really the eye opener for ESPN to say, "Wait, we got to oust this guy or uh, quiet him down a little bit, put a mute on him somewhere." And then when he got into that little sparring session with Kriegel, you don't do that on air nationally or worldwide TV, on a sense, and uh, to question the powers that may be as far as whose credibility is, is warranted and why. And I, I think you know that again uh, was the final coffin, was the final nail in his coffin, and uh, I understand. Because I think, you know, you, you want to support each other. You want to try to appraise each other and not question one's credibility on air when you're doing a live broadcast. So that was probably the final straw. And, and, and that I, I, I'm sure he's going to regret that and wishes he could retract it. But then again, Teddy Atlas, maybe he doesn't because he, he just wants to shoot from the hip and tell it like it is. And that, I do respect from him. So I don't want to contradict myself either. Why would they? Uh, I, I totally I, I totally disagree. Why would he feel bad about that? I, I mean, no, he I, I agree. He, he and that's I, what I'm saying. He I agree wouldn't. with I, him. I mean, I mean, listen. You're talking about a boxing. Uh, uh, know. You know, you're talking about the the sport of boxing. Why bring in people that don't know crap about the sport? Sal, it makes no sense. You know, there's not another sport professional that has non whatever that sport is people involved they don't even you know boxing is the only sport that you can become and and I've talked about this many times boxing's the only sport consider this consider this batman you know <laughs> I, consider this you know i don't have never I, at me. listen don't although although i've <laughs> although i've been involved in this sport for 35 years and i've promoted I've managed, I've done everything in boxing except for one thing. I box as an amateur, never as a pro. But but I never did one thing. I never was a trainer. I never was a trainer. I never learned how to be a trainer. I never pretended to be a trainer. I've given comments during uh, sparring or, or workout sessions. You know, why, you know, uh, you know how, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that to the trainer? But I've never been a trainer. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, and I've talked about this on this show many times. I could go right now to a, a, a boxing event, bring you as my fighter, and I could say, hey, I'm the trainer. And you know what it would take for me to be labeled uh, chief second? 
25 bucks or whatever the fee is to get the uh, the license to, to be in the corner that night. End the story. Poof, I'm a trainer. Right. You know, know, that is the problem. Boxing should be like every other sport. You think you could go into an NFL or even a co- or even a high school. Try and go to a high school football team and say, hey, I, I want to be the coach. I want to be the coach. Well, right. what experience do you have? Well, I, I, never, I never coached football before. I, I, I played it once or twice. You know, I play it on a video game. You know, I, I mean, you know, you really think that they could get involved in any other sport? Boxing, you could be a promoter. You, we could pick up some schlup off the street and, and give him the money to pay for a promoter's license and poof, he'll be a promoter in the sport of boxing. Uh, boxing is the only sport that you don't have to have any experience in to get involved. And I think that's right. bullshit. Well, and I follow you and I agree with you. And, you know, I look at the whole scenario there with ESPN and follow me what I'm going to say. Like a like a referee will give pre-fight instructions to each fighter in the locker room. Well, I'm sure the suits had some type of instructions off air prior to bringing Kriegel on and, and, and Teddy Atlas uh, as far as any outline of sparring. And then here's the other thought. Maybe after the, the uh, Jeff Horn fight, and that was a little bit controversial, maybe they wanted to get a street man, a fan, somebody in, like in a Mark Kriegel so they can offer that other side of an opinion of how a fight is going along and take it from what this non-boxing guy may view or see with his own eyes for the first time. Stop. So there Stop. Could be, I'm, Stop. I'm, I'm putting you're, shit you're, on corporate Yeah, you, you really are. It's not a bad idea. Hey, I'm getting, getting sick. A, I'm, I'm getting ready a to, layman I, from the street that doesn't know much about the sport. Well, let's hear your opinion. What do you think's going on? I'm ready to throw up. And, you know, and then re- Teddy said, well, I'm, I'm ready to throw up. I'm, I'm ready to throw up listening to you trying to justify. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the truth. I'm trying. Right? I'm the trying. truth is, the truth is, and this is the sad, it's a sad truth. The guys making the decision on who's even on the broadcast are, is where it starts. They don't know boxing. So what That's the hell true. do they they think? Oh, Teddy, Teddy's not being politically. It, it's a it boils down to that. Teddy's not being politically correct because he's not showing respect. He's he's a, he might be offending somebody. You know, and, a lawsuit and, and waiting let, to happen. Let, let, let's bring it. Let's bring in someone else who who's going to carefully not uh, offend anyone. It's the same thing as that big fat you know what uh, Dan Raphael. Who's a who's a fantastic writer and a good reporter? But let's be honest, the guy doesn't know boxing. He, I challenge anybody to go back to anything he's ever done, either written, video, said. I, I don't know, uh, except eating because you, you you can't be near Raphael. The guy eats uh, he eats like a friggin' pig. But the truth of the matter is, is that the guy doesn't know the sport of boxing. He, he's a good writer and he's a reporter. And one thing I do admire about Dan Raphael is that he's thorough with his reports. He'll find out the, the intricacies of uh, the contracts and, and st- stuff like that. Uh, but as far as the sport itself, no. And guess what? He's their chief boxing guy. Give me a break. Give me a break. Mark Kriegel doesn't deserve to be on, on a newsstand selling newspapers, let alone on ESPN. Uh, doing uh, boxing commentary. I'm sorry. It, it, it's it's just the way it is. And I'm not a fan of Teddy Atlas, but let me tell you something. You all, are. I know all, that. All I ask is that in the sport of boxing, we have boxing people doing what we're supposed to do. That's it. 
There's nothing wrong with that. I think the sport would be better, Sal. Well, it makes, you know, it's, it's true math. I mean, it's simple math. One plus one equals two. And yes, I think having boxing people, knowledgeable people that are in the fight game, that are in the business, that have trained fighters, that are managers, that, that yeah, it's a dose of reality from their perspective of, of experience. And you cannot replace experience with unknowledgeable or uh, inexperienced commentators. You just can't. No. And that's a world of experience. We got to take a that, short break. Uh, when we come back, I, I got uh, I got some other interesting news. We'll talk about. Um, you know, the the word retirement means it's over, right? Well, not in boxing. We'll be back in two. Billy will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now, or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Programming note, don't forget, we're not doing a live show tomorrow. And for uh, our final shows of the year, uh, we will be back uh, next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we're off until after the first of the year. Now, New Year's uh, Day is on, uh, obviously, January 1st, and that's a Monday, I believe. So we'll be returning January 2nd. All right, so that's our programming note for live shows. We will uh, not be here tomorrow. We will be back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll be off for the holiday uh, until Tuesday, January 2nd. So uh, if anybody has those uh, your top 2017 fights of the year, you better email them to me um, ASAP if you want them read. Uh, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Now, Sal Rocky Senecola, you hold the Guinness World Record for uh, having the longest uh, uh, time in between fights. You, you retired and came back <clears throat> 25 years in what? I think it was either 66. You know. You know. What do you mean you think? I think it's either 63 or 66 days and 22 and a half hours. Yeah, exactly. Hours, <laughs> I knew you. I knew how many seconds. How many seconds? Anyway. Actually, 30, actually 33. 33 <laughs> seconds. A- anyway. Um, you know, that was quite the distance. And, uh, you know, uh, for Sal's uh, um, retirement, he ended up gaining uh, not only a victory in his comeback fight, but a place in uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, most likely a record that will never be broken. Um, however, uh, uh, Orlando Salido uh, retired uh, after his fight uh, this past Saturday night when he got stopped uh, by uh, Roman, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Miguel Roman, and at 37 years old, he said uh, he's just not the same fighter. He's retired, and we talked about that, Sal, on Monday, and we all agreed that uh, that it was over. The guy's been in wars. The style of a, a fighter he he is, um, you know, justified the end. He's he's got a, a family, etc., uh, etc. Et well, yesterday he said, uh, "I'm coming back. Uh, I'm going to be back in 2018." His retirement lasted less than one week. 
He said, and I quote, Saturday night, I let my feelings and my frustrations make me say things I didn't think about. It was a tough and difficult fight in which I couldn't do the things that I needed to do in the ring, which I attributed to my age and the many wars that I've had in my career, which we agree with. Uh, but when I returned home and after thoroughly examining my preparation and the fight itself, I realized that the weight was also part of the problem last week. I arrived at the camp weighing a lot, the highest of my career, and losing weight became the focus of training. That sounds familiar. Uh, yes. And preparing me for the fight was secondary, which I say all the time. I hate to say it, but I do. Uh, anyway, he says, I feel uh, like I left the fight on the scale. It's not an excuse. What's the next word? But, but, but having one but, fight in 18 but. months uh, didn't help but. me. Uh, to stay in condition for what was extremely uh, strong preparation, but in which the weight became the obstacle to overcome. While I was happy with the fight that I offered to the public on Saturday, I know I can still make things better, and that's why I'm going to keep my options open in 2018. If something good comes out at 130 or 135, I would seriously think about going back to fight. Sometimes at the end of a fight and the heat at a moment, things are said, but when you take some time to reflect, you realize that you shouldn't have said them. I want to return to the ring and give my fans more shows, and I think I have something good left to offer boxing. Um, it sounds to me like either the warrior, a, a boxing mentality is coming out. Uh, maybe he realizes he can make some money, or maybe the rumor that uh, an, another fight with uh, Vasily Lomachenko is looming. What's your thoughts, Mr. 25-plus-year guy coming out of retirement and returning to the ring? Well, it, tell you what, Bill. It's probably one of the hardest things to do when you do retire. And, you know, the thought of, you know, there are some fighters that are ready, and they just want to be done with it. And it, it's been a brilliant career, and, and they're ready to start their new stage of life. And it's true. And there are those that sometimes, uh, uh, like in my case, you, you don't want to go out with a loss. You don't want to – there's things there that you felt could have done differently and that you are know, you know that you can do and show and get back in shape and do things. And those are the fighters that have a little demon, a little, uh, little uh, uh, silent professor in their head saying, hey, you could do it. You could do it. Now – in Salito's case, yeah, he's the only man to have beaten uh, Lomachenko, uh, which was a, a hard feat, as we know, for anyone to do. Uh, he is a warrior, and his style of fighting takes its toll on you. Maybe not right now, but, you know, maybe 10 years from now, he's going to start paying a price. Hopefully not. Hopefully he'll be the ones that the, one of the guys that can escape it. But his style of fighting is very brutal. And uh, I'm telling you, the cumulative effects and the blows over the years, they do catch you sometimes. And I hope that's not the case with him. He's a good family man. He's a loving father, husband. And uh, I think he has the opportunity. But he's got that skeleton, that demon, that, that, that nudging thing saying, I should have done things different. And, yes, I agree with him. If you're worried about your weight and training, uh, you still have to pay attention to what you want to execute in the fight and the style you're going to oppose and how you're going to train to to uh, best it. And I, I I think he still would have had that in the forefront while he was losing the weight. But, uh, you know, if he was one of those rare individuals that said, hey, I'm obsessed with losing my weight, i got to do this, he's not paying attention, not following the game plan, not doing what he should do uh, to uh, offset and, and beat his opponent. I think his opponent fought a hell of a fight. And uh, I think that uh, 
he did earn that victory, and uh, obviously because they stopped. But uh, the bottom line is um, he's got unanswered questions that he has to find out in himself. And uh, that's probably better he does it now than wait 25 years. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, first of all, you know, credit to, to fighters like Floyd Mayweather who maintained – um, you know, close to fighting weight when he wasn't fighting. And let's be real, Floyd Mayweather wasn't, wasn't like he was an active fighter, you know. He, so, I mean, he, he maintained that weight. And I say that all the time. It's critical uh, for fighters to do that while they're uh, professional, while they're active. You know, whether they're fighting or not, they, they need to maintain close to their fighting uh, weight. And I think Orlando Salido... Uh, is a recent example. Now, I do believe that based on what, you know, agreeing with you, uh, based on his style of fighting and the wars that he has been in, how many times he's been dropped, et cetera, et cetera, or maybe he should reconsider the retirement. But, you know, you, you can't spend a training camp working on things to lose weight. And that's what you have to do. You know, they're, they're, you end up doing all of this, uh, this crazy workout stuff to lose the weight. And you're not focusing on the game plan because if you were, you only have so many hours in a day. You only have so many times that you're training, you know, so much time to train. You know, so once you get around the weight where you're supposed to be, where they know that they can start to, you know, drain you or whatever for the for this to weigh in, that's when uh, you can start working on a, a game plan. And uh, he admitted that, you know, most of his training camp was focused on weight loss. And we talk about that all the time. So uh, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know what, what I'm afraid of with him, though? And, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Could I have one more minute? Sure. All right. I'm afraid in his situation, unless he gets a rematch uh, or unless he does something, I don't want him just to be around and thinking he's going to get uh, uh, to do it on his terms and wait to, to, to uh, exit on his terms, as I said. And I'm afraid he might just be the next uh, uh, opponent, big name, that one of these young bucks coming up might have to face or yeah. might want to face. Well, and that I never want to see happen to him because he is a warrior, world class, all the way. And uh, I don't want him to be a stepping stone for a, for a young buck coming up. But he's going to be. I know <laughs> and, that. I, and, that's and, right. and, I know and, that. And the, truth of the matter, and the truth of the matter is, is that he knows it. And and the and the reason why he's even keeping that door open, Sal, is because he wants the payday. Listen, when somebody says, uh, "Listen, listen, let's be real, okay? Let's be realistic. Let, let's and be, he's let's not be making real money here. elsewhere like this." Either. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. All right, I mean, no disrespect to any fighter, and Orlando no. Salido is no different. You know, we no. all agree, and Orlando Salido realized it too. He has a change of heart now because uh, maybe his accountant said to him, "What are you nuts?" You know, you can pay this much taxes. You know, you you know, what are you nuts? With this? One of these guys are going to offer you money to get your name on their resume. You know, uh, you know, maybe in a bigger weight class, so you don't have to kill yourself in in the way. You know, he's looking for another payday. You know, even even the rich. I mean, Floyd Mayweather has, has made so much money. Did he really need another hundred million? I mean, in, in the large scope of things, you know, he probably had enough. Uh, money to 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 live for the rest of his life and in, in uh, you know at the at the level he lives did he really need another hundred million uh to fight mcgregor no the thing is is that he well he had an easy he, he had knew to pay taxes he knew too, it was, yeah he but he had to pay taxes but he knew he knew it was going to be an easy fight he, you know so it i was. mean why not do it and and salito could could say well listen my career is over but 
if somebody offers me a check with a whole bunch of zeros after it, uh, and you know, I could just you know go a couple of rounds and uh, and then check out and get that check. Why not? And that's what I think he's thinking. I, I hate to say it, but that's what I think he's thinking. When when yeah, I saw his beautiful wife and his kids, he's got a, a, a large range of kids. Some of them looked like they were uh, teenagers, you know, late teens, uh, all the way down to some younger kids. You know, he's probably thinking, oh, geez, I got college, I got wedding. He had a couple of girls, a couple of boys, you know, geez, I got some weddings, I got some college educations I got to pay for. Uh, maybe another fight isn't a bad idea, you know. I, that's, what, that's what I'm thinking, you know, but... Uh, Anyway, hey, listen, we got some emails to read. Uh, I got uh, uh, some other news that, that bothers me that we're going to touch on real quick, then get to all these emails. Uh, then we got uh, author uh, uh, Jonathan Igg joining us. He just wrote a new book on uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. We'll talk about that. But Foist, uh, we got to take a short break. So uh, don't go anywhere. Billy C. will be right back. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And, uh, you know, Sal, I'm, I'm watching you uh, uh, on the camera and uh, you, you, you love that. You love that little bit that, uh, that you know, when I forced poor Jeremy to go in there and take the shots from Tyson as just as me. Right. I love it. You got a stunt double. I tell you. Hey, well, when you're, when that's, you're, a, that's a great commercial. When, I you're, love that commercial. when you're Billy C, you know, you do that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Terrence Crawford. Now, now this. We were just talking about Teddy Atlas and the fight between Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn. And uh, Jeff Horn just fought uh, a, a slug the other day. Oh, no disrespect to his opponent, but he, he fought a guy that, uh, um, you know, I, I quite honestly uh, should have taken out sooner. But uh, uh, he didn't. He won via 11th round knockout over uh, Gary Cochran uh, the other day. They're actually re-showing that fight on ESPN. Uh, but, you know, he defended his WBA belt. It was announced yesterday. Well, it might have been, in, yeah, it was announced yesterday um, that the WBO has made Terrence Crawford the mandatory title challenger for Jeff Horn's WBO World Welterweight title. Now, Jeff, I, I mean, uh, uh, Crawford, you know, is a pound for pound top fighter. There's no question about it. And I have no problem uh, with him fighting for a title. But here's my problem. I do have a, a, li a, a little, little a bit little, of a, a little problem. voice in your head. This past summer, Terrence Crawford, who was one of my favorite fighters, uh, became the first undisputed uh, world champion in, in more than 15 years when he was the undisputed uh, junior uh, world uh, junior welterweight champion and um, relinquished his titles after that and said he will be moving up to welterweight. 
He has not fought one fight at welterweight yet, Sal. Not one. Hasn't had a tune-up fight. I don't even know if he's ever stepped on the scale at 147 yet. But yet he gets a fast track to fight for the world title without fighting one fight at that weight class. I disagree with that only because it, it deters other young fighters who've been working hard in the gym and bypassing them for a shot for a guy that, uh, you know, arguably a pound-for-pound -pound fighter. You could even make the argument that he's number one. Uh, what's your thoughts? You know, my thoughts. My thoughts are going to be this. My thoughts are that, that uh, Jeff Horn should have a mandatory against the number one ranked welterweight in his uh, division there. And Terrence Crawford should fight on the same card, one of those guys ranked in the top 10. And then they could seriously negotiate a title fight between the two of them afterwards if they both come out as the winners. That's what I think, and that's what my thoughts. Thank you very much. I mean, it should be somebody else, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think Terrence Crawford should fight somebody ranked in the top 10 of the welterweight division. And I think that uh, Jeff Horn should make a title defense against who was the next in line before Terrence Crawford threw his towel in and said, hey, I'm going to go to become a welterweight. He should, uh, Horn should fight the number one ranked contender in his uh, division and on the same card have Terrence Crawford fight anybody else ranked in that top ten. And then they can talk about a fight, a championship fight between the two of them afterwards if they both win. That's what I think. Well, I, listen, I love Terrence Crawford, but me too. I, I, I think but I, I think I think getting a pass to, on a fast track, you know, like you just said, it's kind of slaps a little bit of the uh, the guys working hard to get up there real fast, you know. So, like I said, I think I think they got to make concessions or they got to do something. But I would rather see Jeff Horn fight the number one ranked contender who was there before uh, Crawford entered that division, and uh, and I mean I can't say it enough. And then have Crawford fight anybody else ranked in that top ten. That's all. Yeah, I would like to see him fight any welterweight just once, you know. Just, just well, to, you well, that's know, what I'm saying. Get let used him, to, get used to getting spotless. hit by a welterweight, you know, uh, all that stuff. Got some emails. This first one's from my man Jesse. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal. Rigondeaux had no answer for Lomachenko, uh, and he quit. It was a big disappointment. The fight was yes. boring. Uh, Lomachenko uh, uh, should not fight no more small guys. Uh, Lomachenko uh, versus Burchett. Machado, Linares, Ray Beltran, or more importantly, uh, Mikey Garcia. I don't care if he's supposedly too big. Take the risk like Rigo did. It won't be that much of a difference. The main thing is to give the fans the fights. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Mikey Garcia, I, 135, Mikey Garcia against Lomachenko. I'm, I'm sure the Lomachenko-Mikey Garcia fight is, is one that they're talking about. Uh, I just personally think Mikey Garcia is is too big. I I think Lomachenko has already moved up. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe if I saw him standing next, to, I mean Mikey Garcia, you know. Um, I mean I don't know. I don't know. I love Mikey I'll Garcia. Tell you what, yeah, I love I the fight, you but Garcia. you know, yeah. you know. I mean, I, he's I mean, a good fighter, and I know you don't want to see Lomachenko put a spanking on him, and I'm not saying he will. I'm saying that it would be a good fight, but you know, you know, it's like Clint Eastwood used to say, "A man's got to know his limitations." And you know what? Um, 
that, well, that's part sounded of what like, the fight that sounds like. About. Michael, you don't know your limitations. You, know, you don't well, realize it, and you you do reach for the golden ring, and every chance you get, that's what you do. You challenge yourself. However, I think that uh, as a junior lightweight, Lomachenko could wear that title for as long as he wants, and we know too many other fighters, such as <clears throat> Manny Pacquiao, who really chomped at the bit one maybe two times uh, too often and kept. I mean, what was he, a flyweight, a uh, bantamweight, and then he's a featherweight, then he's a junior lightweight, then he's a lightweight, then he's a welterweight. I mean, there's almost, almost, almost just so much that a body, a frame could could carry uh, a span of 40 pounds or so where you're, it's going to start affecting your skill set, your level, your speed, and other things. And I think, you know, Manny Pacquiao is a good example of that. Well, and I, I praise him for what he did. But he kept, you know, going weight class after weight class after weight class. And, and yes, he set a world record. Was he five-time divisional world champion? Multi-divisional world eight, champion? Eight, eight, eight. But well, I got to move on. I got to move on. Every three pounds. Got to move on because we got a, a bunch of uh, emails. And I, I can't help but notice that your uh, impressions all sound like Michael Corleone. But anyway, um, Jesse, uh, and, and by the way, I don't think that Lomachenko will – uh, you know, put a beating on Mikey Garcia. No, I don't think no, that. I don't, I don't think um, so. But don't uh, think anyway, so. he I says, here's that. my picks yeah. over the weekend. David Lemieux over Billy Saunders in a decision. Jesse Vargas over uh, Aaron Herrera in a decision. Ulysses over Selden in a dis- split decision. Diego Chavez over uh, James in a unanimous decision. Molina knocking out Reddick. Freddie Hernandez knocking out uh, Wale Omotosu. And Diego T- uh, De La Hoya. Uh, beating Jose Sil- Silgado or unanimous decision. He says, not at Horn 1, this should, this should set up a horrible fight against Crawford. Crawford is going to destroy him. Did they not just want Crawford to destroy Manny? That's why they never made this fight. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I would have rather have seen Manny fight Terrence Crawford than Terrence Crawford fighting uh, Jeff Horn. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Jeff Horn. I mean, no disrespect to Jeff. I love the fact that I love when underdogs win. I just don't think he's he's that talented. He he was just bigger, and I think Manny took that fight lightly. Manny Manny doesn't seem to really be into the sport anymore, in my opinion. No, he's got other um, things on his yeah. plate. He's got other things that he wants to do, and and I I can't speak for him, but I'll tell you what I think. You know, unless you're going to take this as a priority and make it your number one thing to do, I, I you, you can't let other things get into your uh, your psyche. And uh, and interfere, and I think you know being involved with politics. Got emails. We got emails. I got to get through. Go, um, go, go, go. This uh, the next point. He says, I think getting rid of Teddy Atlas is a big mistake. Who are possible guys that should replace him? Delvin Rodriguez does a good job on Spanish, uh, ESPN version. Um, I don't think I, I don't think who they got in place should replace him. But we agree with you, uh, Atlas. Getting rid of Atlas was a big mistake. Next email. This is from my man Augie. Uh, out of Riverhead, New York. Uh, Augie used to call in uh, when I opened up the phone lines, uh, a longtime listener uh, from what I uh, can recall. He says, hey, Billy C., how come nobody ever mentions that Vasily Lomachenko has no power? Manny Pacquiao versus Lomachenko 15 years ago, who would have won? Um, first of all, I, I agree with Augie. Uh, Lomachenko doesn't seem to have much pop. Uh, accumulation gets his knockouts. Uh, he's definitely not a one-punch knockout guy. I think his movement... Um, you know, generally fighters that have a lot of knockout power, Sal, there's, you know, they plant their feet before they can knock people out, right? Well, they're set. They they sit on their punches and they they deliver them. They execute them. You know, it's not just an arm punch. It's, it comes from the 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 the, the, the 
the foot, the, the 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 knee, the twist, the torque, the trunk. You know, it's 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 a whole delivery, and uh, you know, you do it fast, efficiently, and you know, you have heavy hands. And you know, I, I admit, I don't think that uh, that Lomachenko has those heavy hands, but he's on his feet, he's on his toes, he 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 moves around a lot. And yeah, you sometimes you trade off, you know, power for finesse and stuff. And you know, I, unless somebody really tries to school him. And says, "Hey, you got to deliver. You got to get the leverage. You got to do this. You got to do that, and, and and punch through the target." Well, guess what? Then he's going to lose some other aspect of his game. You got trade-offs, and you know, I think where he is in a skill set level right now, he's having a world of success. So why fix something that's not really broken? He I agree. Wins, okay, no, I I agree. As far as uh, Manny Pacquiao against Lomachenko 15 years ago. Um, I wish we had the time machine 15 years ago. At, 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 if you're talking lightweight, 135. You know, Manny Pacquiao, what, what made him so exciting was he was just uh, just a, an arsenal. He, he just was a yeah. total offense. Um, but uh, but I think Lomachenko's uh, uh, movement would have uh, given him some trouble. It, it, what I would have liked to have seen how Lomachenko dealt with the speed of Manny Pacquiao in his prime uh, and the, the the most important thing that Manny Pacquiao did so well was he threw punches from crazy angles, and yes, you never did. knew where they were coming from, and uh, they never came from the same place, and uh, it would be an interesting dream matchup for sure. Uh, thanks for the email. Augie, it was nice to hear from you. Another email, this one's from Johnston. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I'm really looking forward to the fight between Saunders and Lemieux this weekend, and I think we could be in for a surprise. You know, we, we didn't even break this fight down yet. Ah. <laughs> um, I think we should be in for a surprise. Uh, he says, uh, I, last week I would have said Lemieux by knockout, but now I've had to rethink. Uh, firstly, the shock defeat of James DeGaulle suffered against Collab Truex last week could actually be a wake-up call for Saunders. I believe that DeGaulle lost the fight. Truex never won it. I mean that with the greatest respect to Truex because he deserves the credit for his victory, but DeGaulle looked beyond his opponent, was thinking and talking far too much about his next fights. Saunders has been guilty of this himself in the past, but he managed to scrap victories albeit uh, poor performances. I think Saunders can learn from last week on how important it is to concentrate on one opponent at a time. Lemieux is no Truex, granted, but he's beatable and will only look to knock Billy Joe's block off with that dangerous uh, left. Lemieux is also looking beyond Sanders, and he believes a win is guaranteed, but he can't knock out what he can't hit. Secondly, Dominic uh, Ingle is a smart guy, excellent coach, and he's a perfect uh, match with Billy Joe Saunders. They have spent a chunk of their training camp at the Sheffield Hallman University where they have brought, into, brought in sports scientists as part of their training program to give Billy Joe an extra 15%. Sports science is something that uh, is used in many other sports, but boxing has only just started to introduce it. Whether it will make a difference or not remains to be seen, but using this technology we'll have, uh, we have today is not a bad thing. Lastly, take that mixture of Dominic Engel, the sports science program, and a clear mentality. I think we are going to see the fittest Saunders we've ever seen, physically and mentally. Therefore, I am going for Billy Joe Saunders to defeat Lemieux by points with his footwork and reflexes being the key. Either that or he'll be cheated out of victory because he's the traveling fighter. Something I hate, but it's the nature of the game as it's always been. Um, interesting. And when I finally do get to break down the fight, I, I'm, I'm going to be mentioning some similar things uh, like that, Sal, because I, I think Billy Joe Saunders, and, and, and I'm guilty of it, uh, is, a, is a guy that we've all just, you know, poo-pooed, you know, taken for granted. But when I break down the fight a little bit later, you're going to see that he's had some tough fights uh, in the early stages of his career, something that Lemieux didn't have. 
so it's going to boil down to power versus uh, finesse, I think, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I got uh, two more emails. This one is from uh, Joel. He says, I got a question for you, Sal. He says, oh, Sal, indeed. I always notice in boxing it never seems you're fully retired from the sport no matter what level of an athlete you are. Either you get the fire to return to the ring or you get offered big money uh, you were once uh, earning isn't coming in anymore. Uh, or, or he's saying, or the big money you were once earning isn't coming in anymore and you need to get some kind of income to pay your bills and support your family. Did you have a retirement plan from the start that would uh, open up your own business when you begun your pro boxing career? Or did you come up with your plan towards the end of your career before you left the sport in 1988? Curious if you could give us a, some uh, backstory on that. As long as Billy allows you to take a trip down memory lane, because I want to hear. I don't want you to take too long down memory <laughs> lane. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, and he says, uh, how important do you feel it is that athletes come up with a plan to earn their income after they retire from boxing or any other sport? Uh, have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, uh, short and quick answer, please, Sal. We we got another email to get I, in. I in can't. The next you know, that's impossible. Well, I need a whole half hour. Button. But don't, don't make I'll me hit the button. I'll try to consolidate it. All right. All right. You're you on. know, I look at Thanks for your comments. We're moving on now. No. <laughs> Joel, that's a great question, man. Loaded question, and, and and I think it does uh, warrant a good answer. And you know, when you start out, you map out your career. And the only one that really talked to me about what he wanted to do, where he saw me, was Richie Giacchetti, who was a world class world uh, champ. I mean, a, a trainer and classic manager of Larry Holmes and things. And and Richie outlined a plan. And had I stayed with Richie, or when I left Richie, and if I went with uh, 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 oh gosh, another uh, another fighter that wanted to uh, another manager that wanted to take me. I probably would have had more of an opportunity to do than what I just did. But uh, um, it's it's hard to say. Yes, my goals were different when I was a young buck coming up. Yeah, I saw I saw the opportunity of being a world champion. I saw maybe parlaying into an acting career or doing other things and and carrying on and, and, and living a wonderful life. But yeah, as you get older, as you mature, and as you really have reality uh, set in, and you, you get some words of advice, and you're going to have to do something after you finish fighting, and you didn't make the right moves along the way, so you you, you, you go to plan B. And I, it was looking like I was faced with having to make decisions on plan B. And uh, fortunately enough, I had the support of a, of of my father who guided me in small business and, and uh, gave me some opportunities to, to springboard me into uh, waking up and, and looking at really what I wanted to do uh, for uh, uh, careers. And I took my passion, my heart, and my uh, intense nature, uh, and I just refocused it into a canvas of making a profitable business happen. And that's me. I'm still the fighter within my heart. I still... I still go for the golden ring. I still fight every day. I want to be the best. I am the best. And I have that passion to be the best. And I do that. I exercise it in the business world or whatever I have to do. So you never really let go. You never really die as a fighter because you're still that fighter inside. It's just how you can find the canvas or where you can express and where you can find progress and goals that can satisfy you because there is no other thing. No, I would go back in the ring tomorrow. You have no idea. You have no idea. It's because it's just an unsettled, burning desire, uh, and there's nothing better I like than the, than to get in a fight. You know, uh, the the truth of the matter is, is is this is what I always talk about. You know, back in the day, 
fighters would go through their career. You know, they would they would become an amateur. They would turn pro. They would fight their career, however successful or non successful they were. But they stayed in the sport. They the boxing yeah. was a trade, and uh, they would be a promoter, a manager, a gym owner, something like that. And the end result was we had all these boxing people involved in the sport. Today, it's not like that. You know, they, they try to do a cash out and they walk away. Some, I've talked to many, many fighters that don't even follow the sport. You know, but uh, one thing I will touch on uh, before I get into this other email that um, uh, Joel brought up was the fact that today, um, you know, with the advancement of how we are and how we live, I think any athlete, whether it's boxing, uh, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, whatever, uh, when they turn pro, they, they should consider what's going to happen when their playing days or fighting days are over and uh, make some kind of um, exit plan uh, for that day because it's going to happen and it happens quicker than you realize. But uh, great email. Yes. Um, yes one one last one. This one's from my man, Coach. He says, uh, hey, Billy C., yesterday, yesterday, boxing again proved it's a WWE. No, it doesn't concern Deontay Toro Wilder and Luis Ortiz post-fight planned entertainment, but official removal of longtime ESPN analyst Teddy Atlas. Uh, Atlas, love him or hate him, for his aggressive, maybe even abrasive style, was fired for speaking out about the judges scoring in the Pacquiao horn bout and questioning journalist co-analyst Mark Kriegel, Kriegel's credentials while at the Jose Ramirez fight last month. Entertainment winning out over sport. I always loved the way the sport entertained. Pure, raw, mano-a-mano competition with the always potential for the agony of defeat. Now we just have the agony of Stephen A. Smith. And I guess color man, Mark Kriegel. Um, I can't agree with Coach anymore, Sal. Coach, I mean, uh, he said um, it. <laughs> you know, it's it's true. And I think that, you know, we've become a society that is so afraid of, you know, offending someone uh, that it offends everyone. I, I mean, that's the, I mean, if you can't goof around, you know, one of the most beautiful things in life is when you can goof around with other people, regardless of their race, their color, their religious beliefs or whatever, and, you know, equally share a joke, even if it's at, you know, my expense or your expense or somebody else's, as long as everybody's doing it in fun, I don't see yeah. there's a problem with that. But everybody's become such a bunch of wimps, and, 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 you know, we've become so fragile. I mean, if you told me, Sal, and I know this is a serious subject, but if you told me, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that people, kids specifically, that make fun of each other. Hey, you're fat. Hey, you know, your mother so sucks that smell. You know, they make fun of each other. Would go home and commit suicide because they couldn't take the bullying. I would laugh at you. You know, oh, I, I mean, God, bullying. Yeah. When I played football in high school, they would take the when, when uh, you know, I was constantly looking over my shoulder when I was a freshman, when I went into uh, uh, high school, because typically the football team, the seniors, would take the freshmen, you know, grab them, pull them wedgie. out, of, uh, put them out of, wedgie my ass. They used to strip, <laughs> they, used to they, they used to take your clothes, they used to take your clothes and put you in the trunk of a car and drive you somewhere with no clothes and let you out and you had to walk home with no clothes on. You know, today they'd call that it's kidnapping, amazing, you know. Yeah. 
You know, so and I'm not saying that was right, no, but my point no. is, my point is, is that you overcome it. Like you and I have talked, you know, our parents told us sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Today, you call somebody a name. You don't even have to call it to their face. You call it to them on the Internet and they go home and they commit suicide. It's horrific, Sal. It is. And you know what? It really uh, I, I, I can't say I don't agree with bullying. I don't uh, endorse it. I don't do it. But you know what? In a sense. Like you said, we were raised in a whole different generation and era. We were raised with sticks and stones can't break my bones, but names will never hurt me or harm me. And you know what? As kids, when our generation, you know what we had to face every day. You know, there was bullying. There was getting guys that beating you up or doing this and doing that. Older guys, and you couldn't hang with these kids or that kid because this guy. You know, there were things. But guess what? We didn't always run home to our parents to help us fight our battles. We had to figure it out and stand and learn the trade-offs in life and learn what's going on. And and that's what I remember, you know? That's the truth of the matter. We had to fend for ourselves, and it made us tougher. It made us evolve. And, you know, I'm not saying every case scenario, and there are people that, that were scarred, that people that did respond differently, and that people that did grow up with, with different uh, 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 versions or different perspectives of life. But, you know, all in all, we did fend for ourselves in the 60s and 70s and we did evolve and learn and we lived and we found out where we were wrong we found out where we we could slide you know it was just a whole different era and, and i agree with you bill today it, it hurts and it's disgusting when i hear and see the bullying that goes on but how these kids are so frail and fragile that they want to go home and kill themselves because somebody said they're fat or something else it just it's just it's just not not a healthy situation all around. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, uh, you know, how fragile of a society um, that uh, uh, that we've become, uh, really. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame. Um, but, uh, uh, listen, we're going to take a break here. Uh, we, have, uh, we have scheduled uh, an author of a new book, uh, Muhammad Ali. It's another uh, Muhammad Ali book. It's called Ali, and uh, Jonathan Higg is the uh, author. And we're gonna we're gonna have him come on and talk to us for a few minutes about the book. Uh, it, sales have been going great, and uh, when we come back, we want to talk about uh, what we started to talk about at the beginning of this show, uh, which was uh, over an hour ago. But uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders is putting his WBO World Middleweight Championship on the line this weekend against David Lemieux. It's a fight that I can't wait to see. I think it's going to be an entertaining fight. And uh, if you would have asked me, uh, you know, a week ago or longer, you know, who's going to win this fight, and I've, Sal and I have already talked about this many, many times, I, I would have just said, um, oh, uh, you know, David Lemieux is going to destroy him. Um, I'm not so sure now. You know, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, I've, I've had a chance to, to get to know him in a sense in terms of uh, his previous fights and, and his ride uh, up. And uh, I'm going to break it down and give you my official prediction uh, in a little while. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, uh, you have uh, some thoughts on it, too. I know that you and I were talking before we went on air yes. that you uh, had a chance to uh, review some of his uh, fights, uh, most recent fights anyway. And, uh, yes. You know, uh, interesting guy, uh, Billy Joe Saunders. And David Lemieux, well, he's well-documented. But, uh, you know, like one of the emails we got today, could he be overlooking Billy Joe Saunders? And and just quite frankly, could Billy Joe Saunders be overlooking him? 
David Lemieux. You know, I mean, both of these guys have so much at stake uh, with, the, yes, uh, with, the, with the big fight that uh, is looming for the winner. And like I suggested yesterday, Sal, you know, we could actually end up with four fights. We could have yes, this because. fight. We could have the rematch between Canelo and Triple G. Then the two winners fight each other, and the two losers fight each other. And then the winner of the two losers fights the winner of the two winners. Ah, oh, God. I, I, That's I, what I call thing. a round robin. I tell you what, <laughs> it's uh, a round middleweight division. But, Sal, we're going to kick you to the curb for a few. We're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're scheduled to have uh, Jonathan Igg join us. So uh, uh, don't, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back uh, uh, in a couple. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans, check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters, track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent ya. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. We want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at billycboxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Uh, glad you could be with us today. And uh, at the beginning of the show, I was talking about uh, a new book that was put out. Uh, it's called uh, Ali. And uh, although there's been uh, a lot of books written uh, on uh, Muhammad Ali, this one uh, is a bit unique. It was written by uh, Jonathan Igg. And joining us right now uh, is the author of this book. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, we don't have your video, so as soon as you can uh, click that, I can get you uh, on. But uh, we hear you fine and all of that. Um, first and foremost, my first question for you uh, is this. There we go. Uh, my, f my first question is is this for you, John. Hey, first of all, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Because I'm the murderer of the English language. <laughs> it's Ig. Ig. Okay, I'm sorry about that, my man. Jonathan Ig. Um, first and foremost, I, like I said, there's been a lot of books written on Muhammad Ali. What made you decide to write this one? Well, I, I love Ali. I love a lot of the books that were written about him. But uh, nobody had done the complete biography yet. Nobody had looked at his whole life um, in an objective way. You know, Tom Hauser's book is great, but it's also written with Ali's approval. So, you know, um, Ali and his management team decided what did and didn't go in that book in the end. So I wanted to really um, take an unauthorized, objective look at it. And also, you know, 50 years had gone by, so you could put some of these things in perspective now. You could look at his whole life 
with a with a historical uh, perspective. I thought. You know, um, while you were uh, doing the research on this book and and you know putting it together uh, and stuff, did did you find out things about Ali that um, readers can find in this book that they have never heard or seen or were told before? I think there's a lot of things. I think people are going to find in every chapter, uh, even hardcore boxing lovers, boxing fans, Ali fans, are going to find things in every chapter they had no idea. I think there were things in this book that Ali didn't even know. You know, I found out that uh, that um, his grandfather was a convicted murderer, for example. Nobody had ever known that before um, outside the family, and even Ali didn't know that. I, I worked with CompuBox. We counted every punch round by round that Ali took in the course of his career, so I can tell you every round of every fight, how many punches were thrown and how many landed. Um, I studied the effects of all those punches on his speaking ability and and confirmed what Ferdy Pacheco told me that Ali started showing signs of brain damage as early as 1971. Uh, that's just a few of the things. Um, there's a there's a ton of new material in this book. You know, I I want to well first of all I, I'm uh, I, I'm fascinated about the convicted of murder. I had never heard that before, but I, I want to jump to the. Uh, uh, to the to the brain damage uh, topic, I'm I'm totally off my scripted questions for you, John. So I, you know, you 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 got me interested here right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I've done a little research on uh, what we used to call pugilistic dementia and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I had learned was that people that come down with Parkinson's, uh, which is not to be confused, and and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not to be confused. With uh, with pugilistic dementia, they, I know that they've come up with something now called um, uh, pu. Uh, what, what is it? Uh, um, I, f I forget what they call it, but uh, it, it's something that begins the process. People that have Parkinson's, like say for example Michael J. Fox, he never took a punch, but he got it. Is it true to say it Parkinsonism is what they they were referring to it? Um, right. Is it true to say that? Um, uh, a, a guy uh, or or anybody could could come down with Parkinson, but if you chose to be a fighter and take those shots, that it would uh, you know expedite the disease. Or is there? I mean, have, did you find that there was any connection there? Uh, you, yeah, you follow what I'm saying. I talked to the doctor who diagnosed Ali, um, who first said Ali had Parkinson's, and and he said that it's, there's two different things, Parkinson's syndrome and Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson's disease is what Michael J. Fox and Janet Reno had. You know, it's, um, it's just bad luck. You know, you, you get it because it's something in your DNA that, that sets this off. Um, but Parkinson, but in Ali's case, he felt like it was almost certainly caused by the punches. And you, you can't be 100% certain without an autopsy, but this guy and many others I talked to said Ali clearly showed signs and, and scans of his brain, MRIs, suggest that there was definitely damage from those punches. And what, what the difference is, is that those, the, the, the effects on Ali are, are symptoms that resemble Parkinson's disease. That's why they call it Parkinsonism or Parkinson's syndrome. It's symptoms that, that mimic Parkinson's disease, but it's not the same thing as Parkinson's disease. That's what this doctor told me. Um, what impact, in your opinion, what impact did Muhammad Ali... Now, this could be, uh, you know, based on what you unfolded uh, in your research and putting together this very complete book uh, or, you know, what you know about him uh, as a boxing fan. What impact do you feel that he made on the sport of boxing? 
Oh man, it, it's so wide. It's so big. Um, you know, first of all, he was just a different kind of a heavyweight. There had never been a heavyweight who who fought the way he did. And obviously, he modeled himself after Sugar Ray Robinson and wanted to be uh, quick and elusive, not just a big hitter. And that that changed the sport. And um, but but I think more importantly, he changed all of sport by showing that athletes could stand up for what they believed in politically, religiously that they could use this platform to do more than talk about boxing. Um, you know, Jackie Robinson came along, he integrated baseball, uh, but he didn't uh, feel comfortable yet using baseball as a, as a platform to talk about other things. And um, eventually, uh, you know, Robinson, when he retired, spoke out. But Ali came along and said, as long as I'm the heavyweight champ, I don't have to do what you expect me to do anymore. I don't have to be what you want me to be. And he, you know, he changed the world in that way uh, more, than he, more than he changed boxing. Um, you know, uh, he changed for one of the things, and I laugh because one of the things that he changed in the sport of boxing for the worse, and hear me out on this, is the fact that Muhammad Ali was so proficient at, um, promoting himself, promoting the fights, you know, his lip, you know, Louis the lip, you know, he was talking smack and, and everything. And, you know, the, the difference with Ali is, you know, he backed up what he said. And he said it in an entertaining way. He gained recognition from it. He sold tickets from it. But at the end of the day, he backed up all the shenanigans he was saying. Whether he was serious, whether he was fooling around, however he was perceived, he backed it up. Today, it's evolved. That, what I call Muhammad Ali smack talk, has evolved into everybody talking smack. I'm going to do this. When I get you in the ring, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get you. I'm going to do that. And then the bell rings, and we don't see any of that. You know? Yeah. And, and, and the difference was we saw that with Ali. You know? What do you contribute that to? How, how, where did these guys today fall off the wagon, so to speak? Well, you know, if something works, everybody has to imitate it. That's why you get lots of... Uh musicians who aren't as good as the original, right? You know, everybody wants to be what 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 worked the last time. So everybody's copying Ali and, and everybody thinks you gotta you gotta get in the face of your opponent at the way in the way Ali did, you know, first against Sonny Liston and, and then you know so many times over and over and, and it worked for Ali because A, he was just a great personality and he had this great charisma and, and also because like you said he backed it up. You know, he he, he could fight. Um, but now everybody has to do it all the time and it's just showmanship and it just gets stupid after a while. But it's what the, the, it's what the fans have come to expect, and it's not just in boxing; it's in all sports. You know, you got these guys who feel like they have to they have to show off how tough they are, and and, and it's all mouth and and no uh, all talk and no action most of the time. Yeah, but <clears throat> Muhammad Ali at least did sell tickets. I, I today I think the fan is so used to the BS, so to speak, from these fighters spewing out, you know, at press conferences and stuff like that. And I, I ask that all the time on my show. Do you really think that that's selling extra tickets? I know Muhammad Ali sold tickets by doing it. But do you think that that, you know, copycat approach is, is actually working or are they just going through the motions? Yeah, I think often it just becomes white noise. The fans are used to it. So unless something, you know, ridiculous happens, it doesn't stand out. It doesn't get any attention. Um, what was the best part for you? Uh, during the research of, of this book, I mean, uh, I know you already uh, told us about the uh, uh, finding out that you know he had a convicted murderer in his family. But was there anything else that really stands out that made it, you know, for you personal, um, uh, you know, a, a big asset in something that you uh, that you learned? Well, 
the, the, my, the, the most fun part for me was getting to talk to and meet a lot of these boxers and, and guys who hung around Ali, getting to hang out with uh, Larry Holmes and, and George Foreman and, and Don King, um, Gene Kilroy, Ali's personal manager. I spent a lot of time with these guys and, and just getting to know them and, and, and also with, with, uh, with Ali's wives, um, really getting to know them and getting to see what it was like to be around Ali. You know, I, I obviously wasn't there. I wasn't traveling with him like you know some of these reporters were in the 70s and 80s I, I was too young but this is the closest I could get and it was fabulous to have that experience of, of getting to know these guys and 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 getting past the bullshit you know getting to talk to them long enough where they were honest about Ali including you know talk, talking about the things they didn't like about him you know when you do the first round of interviews all you get is uh, he was the greatest I loved him he you know he taught me everything he's you know he was the but once you get past that a little bit and you uh, you spend more time with them, you, you get more honest uh, responses and, and you get to hear the, the, the warts and all. You know, one of the things that when I talk about Muhammad Ali or reminisce about him or, or compare him or anytime his name comes up, I always have a tendency to come back and say, well, you know, because I, I'm old enough to have watched him, you know, as a, as a kid uh, fighting and, and, you know, basically it was like this. Sometimes you loved Muhammad Ali, and sometimes you hated him. He was yeah. the good guy sometimes and the bad guy sometimes. But as time went on and his career ended and we all got to know uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, the human humanitarian or, or the ambassador, um, that outlook has changed. And, and today, when you mention Muhammad Ali, everyone loves him. I mean, yeah. there's no hating him anymore. What do you contribute that to? I mean, do you first of all, do you agree with me? And second of all, what do you contribute it to? Are people just forgetting the impact he made or have times changed that much that they're just focusing on on the positive and no negatives? You know, I agree with you completely. And I think it's unfortunate, actually, because, you know, we've turned Ali into this sort of a saint um, as if and, and I think it's because of the illness. You know, he couldn't talk for the last 20 years or so. And that means we get to, like, put whatever we want on him. We get to. We think that he's all-knowing, that he's wise, that he's benevolent, that he's this, you know, sort of a wise man up on the mountain, and uh, and he knows all, and and that's ridiculous. You know, he was a flawed person. He he made mistakes. He was human, and and he could be an idiot. He could be a jerk sometimes. And I think we shouldn't think of him as this saintly figure. Um, we should remember him for being the, the the badass that he was, the tough guy. That um, you know, in the '60s is when he when he challenged us to uh, you know think differently about race, to think differently about boxing. When he was loud and obnoxious, that's when he was his greatest. I think not not the wise old man who um, lit the Olympic torch. You know, that's um, that's not what really made him great. Speaking of the Olympic torch, um, it was much documented the uh, conflict that he had with Joe Frazier. And, you know, Joe Frazier, uh, unfortunately, checked out uh, a little too soon in, in life himself and never really forgave uh, Muhammad Ali uh, for, uh, for the treatment that he feels uh, he received. And Muhammad Ali, you know, at first started as promotion. It was well-documented uh, connection between the two. Joe Frazier actually helped him uh, when his exile uh, ended and et cetera, et cetera. Were there any regrets that you uncovered from Muhammad Ali that, that if he had the chance to to maybe deal with Joe Frazier in a different way? I mean, because 
although they did say they kind of buried the hatchet, they, it never really did. Uh, you know, Joe Frazier uh, left this world um, still not feeling too good about Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali never really, at least uh, that I saw her, never really, you know, kind of... Uh, kind of talked about that i mean did you uncover anything along those lines i agree with you ali never really as far as i can tell made a made a genuine you know face-to-face -face apology and I, you know he was a guy who just thought that whatever he did was right you know he, he was muhammad ali so if i say this is the way to go this is the way to go he, same thing with malcolm x he really treated malcolm x terribly during the last year of malcolm's life and when malcolm begged him to step in and try to prevent the assassination, to speak up on his behalf and get the uh, get the assassins off his back. Ali wouldn't do it. Ali turned his back on Malcolm X. He he treated Joe Frazier, his friend, just just miserably when he knew it was hurting Frazier. When he knew it was hurting Frazier's children, he just kept piling it on. Um, you know, he could be really cruel, and you know, maybe you have to have that cruel streak in you somewhere to be a great fighter. I don't know, but. That doesn't mean you have to go to your grave without ever apologizing. And, and Ali expressed some regrets, but I don't know that he ever um, genuinely apologized to Frazier. And, and Frazier's son, you know, Marvis is still angry about it. it. It hurt, I think, hurt the whole family. You know, now, it, it's interesting because, uh, not, not the hurt part, but it's interesting because, you know, Ali, uh, the gorilla, uh, the, the, the toy gorilla, I mean, it, you know, the Uncle Tom comments, I mean, all those things. You know, it started out as promotional tactics, John, and and you know, I I I just feel, and and obviously, I you know, I have no uh, connection to to it, but I, I honestly feel at some point, all it would have taken is Ali to say, "Hey, Joe, you know, I'm you know, I'm promoting the fight," you know, and yeah. and, he, and and it's like he got it, he carried on, and he almost he almost felt, and, and this is me assuming, but he almost felt, and I'm talking about Ali, that he had a keep the charade, the charade up, you know, and uh, didn't know when to say when. I mean, did, did did you see something along those lines? Yeah, and it's, you know, I have to wonder, did he really believe that it was giving him an edge in the ring, that it was um, that it was going to make Frazier feel the pressure, or did Ali need to do it for himself to psych himself up? Um, you know, I don't really know. You know, he, he never treated his white opponents that way. It was only the black guys. You know, he, he called George Foreman a you know, a, a mummy and, and insulted his intelligence. And same thing with um, with um, Sonny Liston, you know, calling him too stupid, too ugly to be the heavyweight champ. He was he was much harder on, on his black opponents than he was on his white opponents. And um, some of the guys around Ali speculated on that. They thought maybe it was because Ali felt insecure that, you know, he wasn't out of the ghetto. He wasn't as tough a, a street kid as, as George Foreman was. Maybe he felt some insecurity and felt like he needed to prop himself up when he, when he, when he, psyched himself up for these fights with these guys. I don't know. That's just uh, one theory, I guess. Huh. You know, it's it's almost uh, along the lines of, of Jack Johnson. The late, great Jack Johnson was, was similar in a sense where he was, uh, um, you know, vicious. Uh, it was similar but opposite. He was vicious uh, to the white opponents and carried the black opponents, you know. But, right. But uh, never, uh, never wanted to give the black opponent the chance because he saw it as a financial uh, gain to fight the white guys, you know. So, uh, but, uh, but anything. Anyway, um, any final thoughts uh, on uh, writing the book, John, that you feel that uh, uh, potential uh, readers need to know before they buy it? I think it's important that they know that this is not another one of these books that is just out to uh... – make him out to be a saint and and I wasn't out to take him down either you know I wanted to be as fair as I could to treat him like the important you know historical figure that he was I interviewed 
more than 250 people for this book. I interviewed all three of his living wives. I interviewed his brother and his, you know, just to, I, I covered everything I possibly could. I dug up new FBI records on Ali, and I, I want this to be the book that um, you know people will look at for for decades to come as the you know the the, the 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 best way to really understand this guy. And I I think I understand him a lot better now than I did when I began the project you know five years ago. How's Rahman doing? I haven't seen him. I I actually promoted. Uh his uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, nephew, Ibn Ali, and Rahman's son, and and we had uh, Rahman and and uh, Jimmy Ellis uh, come to several of our events. I mean, I haven't talked to him in several years. How's he doing? Uh, not so great. I mean, he's a sweet guy, but he's 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 he's, he's lost his memory, um, and he's um, it, you know not doing that well financially. Um, he didn't get anything, or he didn't get much, as far as I can tell, out of the uh, out of the will. And he's living in public housing. He's on food stamps. So if anybody's in Louisville and can help uh, Rockman, he could use a little help. Wow, I didn't uh, didn't even know that. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the update uh, on that. It's unfortunate um, that uh, that that happened. I mean, obviously he didn't have this success uh, inside the ring as uh, his brother did, but um, uh, you know you would have thought that there would have been some connection. I you know they, they were they didn't have any falling out, right? No, Ali loved his brother. You know, and and told him all his life, don't worry, I got you covered. You know, you're never gonna have to work. I got, I'll take care of you. But when Ali got sick um, and uh, was kind of not capable of uh, making decisions anymore, I think Rockman fell away a little bit, fell out of the picture, and and uh, he's been struggling for a while now. And uh, for a while, he was working at that um, Ali museum. You know, they turned his house, Ali's childhood home, into a museum, and Rockman was working there for a little while. Um, but that closed, so he's he's. Uh, you know, he's, he's hurting, I think. Hmm, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, well, Jonathan, listen, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know we had uh, uh, some scheduling issues. Uh, we, we had tried to have you on earlier, and uh, my bad on, on uh, one of those, and uh, I apologize for that. And we hope that uh, we can have you back on uh, in the future. I know the book is doing well, and uh, you've gotten some great reviews. So uh, I'm going to uh, put the uh, book right here for you guys to see. Uh, Thanks. It's Ali. And uh, you can get it. Where can they get it? I mean, obviously they can get it on, um, you know, Amazon or whatever. But is there any other place? Can they get it directly from you? Signed copies? Where do you want um, to Yeah, if you go to my website, it'll tell you how to get signed copies. And um, it's in all the bookstores. You should be able to find it at your local independent store at uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to shop. But um, if you want a signed copy, um, it's not too late to get them for for Christmas, uh, Hanukkah. You know, uh, just go to my website and, you can, and, it'll, and there's instructions there on how to get a signed copy. Give out your website, my man. JonathanIke.com or Ali the Book, if that's easier to remember. AliTheBook.com. Sounds good, my man. Listen, you have a great holiday. Again, I appreciate the time and uh, we yeah, look thank forward you. to having you on again. Anytime. All right, Thanks. man. Take care. That's uh, Jonathan Ig. Uh, we just, uh, here's the book again. I'll show it to you. Uh, and uh, make sure you guys get yourself a copy. Uh, it was a great read and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, uh, uh, make sure you uh, get out there and uh, get yourself a copy uh, as soon as you can. Um, listen, big fight this weekend uh, coming up that uh, I wanted to uh, talk about. Uh, we got uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders uh, going up against uh, uh, David Lemieux. Uh, the fight is taking place uh, in uh, uh, Canada. Unfortunately, I won't be there, uh, but... Uh, uh, I uh, am definitely going to be watching it. It's a fight that I've been uh, um, looking forward to for uh, quite some time. 
Uh, we got uh, my man Sal back on the, the line, um, uh, almost ready, and uh, here he is ready now. So let's uh, take a look at this fight, and uh, we'll break it down and give you our uh, uh, predictions. I, I know that we tried to do this a lot earlier in the show, but we didn't get a chance to do it. So uh, we, for all the networks, uh, we will not be taking uh, a break uh, at our normal time. We're just going to break down this fight, give you our predictions, and uh, let it go with that. But uh, uh, first and foremost... Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, he's the WBO World Middleweight Champion. The computer sees him at uh, number six uh, in the world. He's a southpaw, 5'11 uh, in height. He's got a, uh, um, he's got, uh, a record of uh, 25 wins, 12 coming by knockout, uh, no losses. He's an undefeated fighter. He's fought uh, 163 rounds uh, from the start of his career, uh, which uh, started out uh, in 2009. Now, something I talked about earlier in the week was when I started researching him for this fight, one thing that stuck out is the amount of experienced fighters that Billy Joe Saunders fought at the beginning of his professional career, something that a lot of fighters do not do, especially United States uh, fighters. Um, you know, his pro debut, he fought uh, a guy with 30 professional fights, 12, 12, and 6, um, he finished, he followed that up with a typical uh, fight for a young fighter that you see here in the States, a uh, two-in-one guy. But his third fight against Matt Screven was a guy that had 13 wins, 52 losses, and no draws. Now, somebody would look at that and say, wow, 52 losses, what a bum. But for a fighter that's in his third professional fight, that's a big experience difference. And it definitely makes a difference. And as you look at his record, climbing after that, the amount of experienced fighters that he fought is unbelievable. Um, he fought uh, some experienced guys, Tony Randall, uh, uh, Turgay Usen, um, uh, they, some other, I mean, there were some normal guys. Bradley Price uh, was an uh, up-and-coming fighter until he started uh, losing back-to-back -back fights in 2012. Bradley Price, uh, Bradley Price fought Billy Joe Saunders, and Price had a record of 33 and 10 at the time, and took uh, Saunders the distance. He fought Gerard Fletcher, who was an up-and-coming uh, middleweight, uh, who was undefeated in 2012, stopped them in two. He fought Nick Blackwell, who was 12 and one in 2012, beat him. He beat Matt Hall. He beat Gary Spike O'Sullivan. These are all good fighters that you know he beat. Uh, over the last several years, John Ryder was an undefeated fighter. Emmanuel Bladurma was an undefeated fighter, 22-0. He fought Chris Eubank Jr. in a close fight. He squeaked out a split decision win in 2014. Eubank Jr. Uh, now campaigning at super middleweight uh, beat him. He won the title when he fought and won a majority decision, a very close fight, against Andy Lee. Uh, and uh, that, he picked up the belt in 2015. He fought once in 2016, and he fought once this year against Willie Monroe Jr., obviously winning them all. The knock on Billy Joe Saunders is that he wasn't uh, active enough, but he's a good boxer, and he breaks his opponents down. He does not possess the one-punch uh, knockout power that his opponent, David Lemieux, uh, possesses. And speaking of David Lemieux, He's 28 years old, same age as Billy Joe Saunders, and he's ranked one spot behind Billy Joe Saunders the way the computer sees him at number seven. Uh, David Lemieux has given up a couple of inches in height. He's five foot nine, uh, and uh, 
his record is 38 wins, 33 coming by knockout with three losses in which he lost twice. Now, when you take a look uh, at his record, he fought typically what we see here in the States. Now, he did fight a couple of experienced guys early on, a 12 and 17 guy, a 14 and 17 guy. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of his opposition was carefully selected. Um, I told you guys uh, yesterday that I uh, uh, knew his first trainer. I still know his first trainer, Russ Amber. And they were definitely grooming him uh, for, uh, for big and better things, but they were definitely protecting him. I got uh, to be ringside for several of, of his fights up at the Casino Montreal in Canada. One was Delray Reigns. Uh, another one was Jason Nogler, which was actually a, a pretty interesting fight. Uh, his first real big name was Elvin Ayala. Knocked him out in the first round uh, back in 2010. He also beat uh, Hector Camacho Jr. Uh, and uh, was on his way up uh, until he fought and lost for the first time against uh, Marco Antonio Rubio, uh, where he was stopped in the seventh round. He ran out of gas. His conditioning was questioned. He got rid of his trainer, got another fight back-to-back with that one against Joanne Shim Elsine, and lost that one via a a majority decision. He changed his approach, started uh, getting back to basics, uh, retaught himself with a new trainer, new team, started fighting guys, uh, that looked good on paper, uh, but were no threat to him. I think when he fought Marcus Upshore in 2013, it kind of turned his career around because from that point on, he started uh, developing uh, a little more in his arsenal, at least in my opinion. Fernando Guerrero was a twice-beaten guy that was a highly touted prospect. He knocked him out in three. Gabe Rosado, one of my favorite throwback kind of fighters, knocked him out in 10 of his 12-round scheduled fight. He fought Hassam the Dom uh, to win his world title in uh, 2015, a 12-round decision, uh, which set him up for his third and final loss and uh, his second knockout loss at the hands of Triple G. Uh, and then he followed that, his last three, uh, last four fights, Glenn Tapia, Christian uh, Fabio Rios, uh, Curtis Stevens, and Marcos Reyes. I was ringside for the Curtis Stevens fight. I was talking to Sal off air this morning. And uh, literally, I thought he killed this guy uh, in the third round. The question uh, that we always have about David Lemieux is, can he stay, um, you know, uh, winded, uh, so to speak, with wind, uh, with uh, energy? Can he, can he not, you know, gas out? Uh, he claims, uh, and he's been looking a little pudgy sometimes. Um, you know, he claims he's over that. He claims he could have went. Uh, 12 rounds with Curtis Stevens. It only took him three. He did go 10 rounds in his last fight in May, uh, a a stay-busy fight against uh, Marcos Reyes. Um, David Lemieux, former world champ. He won his last four in a row, two by knockout, since losing to Triple G in 2015. Uh, Listen, how's this fight going to go? I'll tell you the truth. Billy Joe Saunders is is uh, is a good boxer. I think if Billy Joe Saunders can uh, control the pace control the onslaught of David Lemieux, try and protect his body a little bit, uh, and and get David Lemieux into the later rounds, it's going to go Billy Joe Saunders' way. However, I think David Lemieux is going to get to Billy Joe Saunders. I do believe he's going to work the body. He's going to slow down Billy Joe Saunders and neutralize what Billy Joe Saunders does the best, which is outbox his opponent. I think this is going to be an interesting fight. I think it's going to start off fast, 
I think it's going to uh, have a middle rounds of a little little slowdown action. And then I think that the power of David Lemieux, and I'm assuming that he's in good shape, uh, I think the power and the fact that he's going to be in, uh, you know, arguably the best shape of his career, uh, I think that he's going to wear down Billy Joe Saunders and uh, ultimately win this fight by a late-round stoppage. I'm officially predicting David Lemieux to win this fight and move on and fight the winner of Triple G, Canelo, Alvarez, Sal, Rocky, Senecola. What's your thoughts and predictions on this fight? Just what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. I uh, do not hide the fact I am a big David Lemieux fan. Uh, do I think he could beat anybody and everybody out there? Maybe not. But do I think he does give it his all and he can turn around and fight with his awesome power? Yes, I do. I think that uh, he has improved steadily over the last two or three years, certainly from the last time he fought uh, uh, Triple G, the only time he fought Triple G. Um, would I expect a different fight if he got back in a ring with Triple G? I don't know. We'd have to see. But the bottom line is, you know, I looked at Chris Eubank Jr. I didn't know him that well. Uh, and I saw him fight. I mean, I, I saw I, I saw Billy Joe Saunders fight against uh, Chris Eubank Jr. and Willie Monroe. And at times, I'm going to have to say this, I thought Billy Joe Saunders almost at some times looked a little bit more average than I thought. Uh, Willie Monroe uh, kept, they were both southpaws. And Willie Monroe stuck him with the jab almost at will. And uh, it was his lack of jabbing that I think cost him the fight because that was a winning thing for him. And I think he just uh, didn't uh, uh, go after uh, Billy Joe Saunders the way I thought he could have. Billy Joe Saunders looks fundamentally sound. He, he's a boxer. Uh, as we said, he does not have that one-punch power. But he can dismantle you time after time, round after round. Uh, I don't see anything, one thing exceptional from Billy Joe Saunders. I think he's a good, solid boxer. I think he's a, a good opponent. I think he could take a punishment or take some punishment. He takes a good shot. But ultimately, I'm telling you what, David Lemieux has learned a lot over the last two years. And yes, I do question sometimes his conditioning. And the fact sometimes he, even though he wins, he does come into the ring with a little thick skin on him. Uh, does that help or hurt? I don't know. He doesn't have to be defined like an Atlas to get the job done. There are many fighters out there that uh, that, that just have an average-looking body and physique, but guess what? They could get the job done anytime. Uh, I think that he definitely possesses the power that could end a fight at any time. And David Lemieux also knows how to finish a fight when he has him hurt, when he has a fighter hurt. He can finish a fighter. I am going to say that with everything considered and everything being equal, I don't see this fight being equal. I see it being competitive. I see it being good. I see there could be a likelihood that David Lemieux could surprise the heck out of Billy Joe Saunders and catch him early in the first or second round. And I can see a, a, a right hand or a left hook or a body shot because David Lemieux does know how to attack to the body. I could see a, a fast finish to this fight from David Lemieux either in the first or second round. If it does go to later rounds, Billy, as you suggest, I think I could see the early rounds no feeling out, just going out really early. And I think once uh, David Lemieux does land a shot onto Billy Joe Saunders, David, Billy Joe Saunders is going to say, wow, he can hit. 
And I think that might change the tone of uh, Billy Joe Saunders' tempo. And I think the middle rounds may be a little ebb and flow. But I definitely also agree with you. If he doesn't stop him early in the first or second round catching him, he's going to stop him by the 10th round. I think Billy Joe Saunders is going to bite off a little bit more than he can chew right now. And uh, I just think that the power, determination from uh, uh, David Lemieux will be too much for Billy Joe Saunders. Well, we both uh, agree that uh, David Lemieux is going to uh, uh, come out the victor. I do want to say this. I, I do give Billy Joe Saunders some credit. He, he has been I do. Uh, trying to duck uh, all the top fighters, and I guess uh, uh, it's come to an end. Uh, the winner of this fight uh, is supposed to fight the winner of Triple G Canelo rematch. And like I have suggested, maybe the two losers fight each other, and then that winner fights the winner of the two winners. I like it. That's getting, a scenario. It's getting confusing. But uh, but uh, what it is is it keeps the top middleweights active. But uh, Active. In any event. Um, on this day in boxing history, December 14th, in 1892, mysterious, Billy Smith knocks out Danny Needham in the 14th round to win the vacant World Welterweight title and took place in California. On this day in 1968, Pedro Adgift, wins a 15-round decision over Aldorf Pruitt to win the vacant WBC Junior Welterweight title that took place in the Philippines. On this day in 1967, Hiroshio Kobashi knocks out Yoshikata Numata in the 12th round uh, to win the World Junior Lightweight title that took place in Tokyo. On this day in 1967, Raul Rojas wins a 15-round decision over Antonio Herrera to win the vacant California World Featherweight title and that took place in Los Angeles. California on this day in 1967. On this day in 2002, Chris Bird wins a 12-round decision over Evander Holyfield to win the vacant IBF World Heavyweight title place in Atlantic City, New Jersey. On this day in 1964, Joey Gordello wins a 15-round decision over Ruben Hurricane Carter to uh, retain his WBC and WBA World Middleweight titles that took place in Philly. Ruben Hurricane Carter, we had on this show years ago, um, one of these guys that I loved, uh, and if he would have been serious about the sport of boxing uh, and, and you know, trained, uh, he had one of the best left hook to the bodies I've ever seen. Uh, it's a shame uh, what ended up happening with uh, Hurricane Carter. And finally, on this day, December 14th in 1920, Jack Dempsey knocks out Bill Brennan in the 12th round to retain his world heavyweight title, and that took place at the at the time, Mecca of Boxing, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Programming note, we are not doing a live show tomorrow, but we will be back uh, on Monday. And a holiday uh, programming note, we are doing live shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we're going to be off from doing live shows until after the new year, which is January 2nd. Now, I promise all you boys and girls and children of all ages, we are going to be coming back with some new stuff in 2018, and you're going to notice it from our very first show, uh, specifically some of our simulcast uh, uh, viewers are going to notice some new stuff and new uh, uh, segments we're doing and all of that. But I'll tell you what's not going to be new is me or my co-host, Sal Rocky Senecola, because you're stuck with us. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, also stay tuned Monday. 
We are going to be announcing uh, the uh, uh, our next Billy C. Boxing uh, get-together, which is going to be in a few weeks. Uh, it's our holiday after holiday holiday. So uh, make sure you uh, stick around for that. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We got a lot to talk about on Monday. Uh, so uh, all I could say is this. Make sure you tune in Monday morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na